Bit, uh, a little bit too much volume off the top there. All right. Uh, welcome, everyone, to tonight's episode. Uh, we are going to be talking about campaign things and such. <laughs> settings, details, uh, long-term, short-term, different systems, and uh, a few campaigns that we have specifically uh, for one of our DMs. And hopefully, uh, this will help you get closer to getting to that next point of inspiration. Uh, before we jump in, though, I'd like to thank everyone who puts time and effort to making the mortal woes what it is, uh, which is an awesome place to create, learn, and play D&D with friends. Um, if you are looking for uh, a D&D or gaming community or a place to have fun, uh, feel free to check our links below. Um, you can check out our YouTube channels. We post all of our games and uh, episodes in there and then we also have I believe our reddit and most importantly the discord information so that way you can get in here and join us and let's have some fun um, I'd also like to thank all the artists that provide us with music on artlist.io um, to be able to listen to some chill music to vibe to while we chat uh, that being said Evan, go ahead and take it away for us. What's going on tonight? Hello. Um, going on tonight? Well, I'm alone with the children. Nice. So that's what I got going on. <laughs> but, uh, oh, I'm here. Speaking of the devil. Evan just uh, rolled for initiative real quick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. He wanted to know where the pizza is. Nice. Anyways. So. Yeah. Talking about campaign details. I think I want to start off with long form campaign do's and don'ts. So. I mean, I, I would say you've done both. Correct. At this point. Um, yeah, I mean, DM wise, anyways. Yeah, so my longest game was the Numestrian campaign. I think that it was about two years, um, with weekly sessions, mostly. 
And then um, I've ran some shorter games that were about, um, I don't know, anywhere from five to about 15 sessions. And then, of course, I've done some one-shots and played some games that weren't 5e, like Tin Candles and things like that. Um, have you haven't have you played in a long form one yet? Um, so I think the first game that I got to play D and D in uh, was potentially meant to be uh, long form. So it started off long form, and then um, I ended up starting my own game. So I guess technically I have not played through in a long game. Uh, format okay but something looking forward to well yeah <laughs> coming soon <laughs> yeah at a mortal woes near you yeah anyway <laughs> uh what uh what are some i guess lessons learned from your long campaign that you ran uh lessons learned like what um, grabbed the players, you know, what made things seem to flow better. Because I'm sure there you had a night or two, you know, I, just, I can imagine that it just didn't feel maybe as good or something. You know what I mean? Like what, a, what are what, what are your takeaways from the whole thing? Um, I guess some takeaways would, of course, uh, be, you know, regardless of how much time you get to put into it because uh, you don't you're not always going to get you know all the time in the world to be able to put something together and be able to spend all the time that you want on it but um, you know even if you are short on your prep time you know just have fun with it because as long as you have fun and create a, a fun environment your players are probably still going to enjoy it and be thankful that you know you have brought them a, a session and you know i think mostly just having a good group also plays a good role in that too is because yeah. i mean you don't really have to have a whole lot if you're playing with a good group and you're just there to have fun <clears throat> i stuck on that one for sure yeah uh what I about you played um well, definitely, I've played in multiple long-form campaigns at this point, um, and then lots of your one-shots. Um, I've definitely been in the situation that you said earlier about starting in a long-form that ended up, you know, stopping for just whatever reason, life, what have you. But uh, the Yensu game. <laughs> oh not no i'm just various things in galabad over the past 15 years you know yeah no nah, i was just kidding but but uh, yeah yeah that is one but uh uh definitely the people you're playing with because i don't know if this when you have like that you never want to like come to the table like dreading a person you know like oh, i have to play tonight but so-and-so is going to be there or but, but thankfully i haven't it's never never been an issue for me but i've pretty much always played with friends you know never really had like a 
outsider ended up not liking or something, you know, weird like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I guess takeaways, something that really, uh, I would say, memorable NPCs that you that the, the players will end up react like talk, reacting with or uh, reacting, enacting, interacting. You know what I mean? Interact. There we go. That's the the acting word. Interacting with like all the time. So, like your. Uh, like for instance, you've met her, uh, the Adventures Guild, Joylene. Yep. I, I've multiple campaigns. Like she, she's always been there, running the running the you know bar slash desk of the of the guild. So always been a like character that stuck with me. I thought she was a great character that Ico created, and. Uh, so I think that's a very important because if you're if the NPCs are forgettable, then most likely a lot of the story will be forgettable too. Yeah, I think. Um, no, I, I guess I don't know 100 for sure because I don't have anybody to back me up. But I, I believe uh, some of my players enjoyed a character that I made. <clears throat> um, Those named Scribbles. Now we had a um, Kevin's character was a Kenku Ranger, and uh, I guess so far in New Mestria, I have it as you know Kenku or kind of rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came across another Kenku that was a mage um, at a place called the Lonely Tower when they were trying to escape the storm after. Uh, the ritual had set in motion basically like the terraforming of Farrell's Valley into Carnea's new uh, hold that she has. Um, but yeah, I mean, his name was Scribbles. He was a scribe. Um, like, he is almost like the caretaker of this abandoned uh, magical tower that had like this crazy magical library with inside of it. Um, sort of like it's the circular tower room. You know how there's uh, bookshelves that you can slide one across and there's like another bookshelf behind it. Right. That's yeah. kind of how this was, but they all just slowly spun around and would reveal different sections depending on like what point. Um, they rotated, and that was like all the way up, like multiple layers, and you know, little magical things happening um, in between. Um, but yeah, he'd sit there and he'd write with his feet. That was kind of his deal. Uh, I mean, you guys met Scribbles in the mm-hmm. um, Blue Flame games that we've been playing um, as the villain, but. That wasn't always true. So he became a villain in that campaign? Or in the main campaign? Or is that just like a fun little addition for the one shot you did? Um, it was mainly just an addition. Uh, so in the story, 
you know, they were trying to escape what had been summoned and created from the ritual. And it had reached out to where they were at or to where the tower was and basically ended up destroying it. And all the players knew um, before the tower collapsed is Scribbles looking out the window because there was like some refugees that lived in like camps around the tower that were other Kinku. And they just saw like a burst of light from a spell effect because uh, up on top of the tower um, was a teleportation circle that is linked with uh, what I call the flying flocks. So it's kind of like a white Lotus esque sort of deal. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you see them a lot with like couriers and coach services where you can get like horse and wagons to take you to one place from the next. And, you know, they have like a little network, but what most people don't know is that there, it's also like this hidden order that is set up to like be defenders of the good and trying to defeat, you know, evil forces when they come, when they arise, like, like Carnea. Um, like a good Illuminati. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or like the white Lotus. Uh, yeah. 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 So, (laughs) you know, that's how they got there in the first place. I believe is they, um, somehow were able to teleport at the level they were um, because that's what I do, I guess. Um, They ended up there by mistake, pretty much. Um, Yeah, long story short, um, yeah, I think they like scribbles. Kinkus are um, interesting to play, and uh, I mean... If you've ever been in a party with one, things get interesting when you can't speak, so. I've actually never seen a player play one. That's pretty cool. And speaking of which, it's a cool thing that you let them play it, knowing that they can't speak and, you know, and the things that could put on the party and... That's a a do, I think, as well. Never, like, what do you call it? Hindering the player's choice. Obviously, there's some things that just can't happen, but, you know. For the most part, a lot of of character concepts are usually doable. Yeah, I think there's, like, a couple of words that he spoke. I mean, you know, I don't go off of the Forgotten Realm... And yeah. I don't go, I don't, you know, I don't cross all the T's of every 5e rule. So, um, <laughs> you know, just like any other Kinku, I guess, and some of the lore, though, uh, you know, they like shinies, apparently. So that was like one of few words that he would say is, you know, if he saw like a gem or a jewel or something sparkle, and he would just be like, shiny, and point at it. <laughs> Um, brings me to the next one. Um, because it's like making sure none of the players, I guess, the do making sure none of the players ever feel 
left out. I mean, I think you'll have some like experienced, like very experienced players that, you know, there's there to vibe regardless. But, you know, uh, incorporating every character, like every character gets their, their moment kind of a, a deal. I think is uh, definitely a, a do from my experiences in long form campaigns. Yeah, and definitely uh, can be a campaign altering thing as well because um, you know you have this idea of what game you're gonna run. Um, maybe even a time frame but uh, depending on how in depth that you want to take each individual players backstory uh, can really <laughs> throw that for a loop as if you're like trying yeah. to dig really deep into each players uh, you know those are like epic stories or you know chapters in the campaign that can last a long time just for one person yeah <laughs> yeah what about what's a don't is there any don'ts from when when you've been dming that you've learned <clears throat> um i would I say opposite of the do's but <laughs> um Camera's having trouble focusing. Uh, I would say don't fudge rolls. Um, now, I, I know there's a lot of disagreement and um, arguments that you'll see on forums and things like that where, you know, it's like, ah, oh, it's fine to fetch the role if it makes sense for the story or you know if you're if you're doing mm -hmm. it for the narrative um my thought on that is kind of well if you're doing it for the narrative then you know don't have a role yeah true you can just do let the narration <laughs> good, just narrate it point. right don't if you don't want something to be to chance, then don't put the chance there. <laughs> yeah, just narrate the whole fight scene. No, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, a good one. What about adding health? <clears throat> um, <laughs> you mean like on the DM side, <laughs> of course? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's different. Like, okay, cool. Then I don't feel bad now. No, I'm, I'm definitely talking about like, you know, if you're attacking a player and you don't have like yeah. the shared dice and you know, you, they got like two HP and you create them, you know, just let it happen. Oh, for sure. I agree. But I thought you, it's also, even if they miss like. Don't yeah. just wipe them out. Don't wipe them yeah. out. <laughs> You're like, oh man, I really makes wish I could more damage so I could knock them unconscious. Them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey man, you know, 
let the dice say what's what up. What a good story, though, on his last leg and though that ounce of hope, and he's able to pull his yeah. you know, sword up or his shield, the last parry, and yeah, that's that's a good story too. So definitely, I agree with the let the dice tell. Not saying let the dice tell the story, but you know, yeah, I, I think, think we both understand what we're saying. I think my players uh, were fighting. I don't remember what age the the dragon was, but you know, the monk ended up using stunning strike on it whenever it got close, and I think they rolled like a three on the Constitution save, and I'm like, shit. I'm like, well. They're stunned yeah. <laughs> for a round. <laughs> Get them, no, guys. Very resistance. <laughs> no, not not at, not at that age. It was like a young okay. or something. Young, maybe. yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, um, that's funny. I was like, that... it's like they can't move. They can they can barely speak or you know they can mumble. It's like, but they can't take actions or reactions. What do you guys want to do? <laughs> Freaking monks. Uh, and then you just chain stunning strike it. And... Uh, Foss, there's one time our party, this is like, I guess technically kind of my first campaign. My character was the only one that ended up swapping out. Um, that's when I stopped playing Laverne and started playing Etma when I created Etma. And, uh, we were fighting a black dragon and I won a grapple after it knocked me prone and I won a grab like a, I tried to grapple him. And so I basically, I ended up bench pressing its foot off of me and it was like holding it still <laughs> from the, from, you know, that one foot. It's awesome. It was, <laughs> was a great moment. Yeah. Very funny. Not every day. Speaking of that campaign, we had a character that was uh, multiple personalities. And the player, every time the character woke up, and this is kind of a rabbit hole, but I thought this was funny to share. They would roll a D4, I think. it No, it was a D6. And it was one, and one to two was, I think, Druid uh three four was i want to say sorcerer and five six was uh fighter something like that but anyway so like every day like the this halfling would like wake up and be like why do i have this stupid walking stick you know <laughs> nice His personality for the day was always different but it was the levels like we we're all like level 12 at this point but the halfling was level three you know with a uh, wizard or sorcerer and then only like a level four druid so each personality had its own <laughs> set of levels and oh, wow. how they decided what what level they were like what they would level up in was also based on a personality die roll <laughs> so it was the uh, that's pretty chaotic. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, interesting. Yeah, for sure. That sounds crazy. Yeah. Another little funny concept that, you know, 
You could always let fly as a DM. Yeah. I would. Um. Alright. What's a don't? Let me think of a don't. Don't ever make or choices. I guess choices uh, should always feel meaningful. So, in terms of long form, because they, you know, the players may not ever may not always go where you want them to go. Kind of a deal. I think uh, I we touched on this for like a minute and a half last week. How my group was fighting. We had like a little mini arc fighting uh, a a sentinel uprising the like nazis and then we found out that you know there was a group of them where they had a bunch of goblins like held hostage and we found out where this sentinel bar is so we ended up going and like trying to get information and like we didn't like murder everybody there just a few of the outright uh racists and uh burned down the whole bar by accident kind of anyways had nothing to do with where we were supposed to go we thought it did but you know Ico was able to like roll with it and like it felt kind of like it felt right like it felt like we were you know going the right way with it but in the end we realized after wow this was complete side thing but it was still fun. So definitely like don't ever like roadblock the, the party. Yeah. Stay flexible. Keeps things interesting. And uh it you know, it makes the world seem more real. You know, if uh you're stuck on the on the train tracks and you know, you can feel like doesn't nothing's changing or whatever uh you're like oh no it's like i don't want to do that right now i'm just gonna go mm-hmm. in the shop or you know i'm gonna go hang out in this bar or let's go to fight club or you know let's go do something strange that's not a part of the quest or you know not to say yeah. uh not that i think that you know you should try to go on like a whole side epic journey that isn't <laughs> a part of the quest that you talked about signing up to play for, but <laughs> right. You know, like, right. like, well, I joined this campaign to go and conquer the tower of trials, but you know, I really feel like going on a really long sea voyage. So I'm going to go <laughs> down to the docks and sail away. Right. Yeah, that would uh, <laughs> hinder things. It's like, wait, but now if it's like a I don't completely know. open uh, game to where that's fine, then you know, more power so to you. Like a yeah, like a real long form campaign. But if it's like, I definitely set. wouldn't consider the trials. Uh, definitely wasn't. I mean, how, how long did that take? It took like six to eight months. The, I guess it wouldn't. I don't think it'd really fall under like a long form, and it was very. But it was like kind of set, which I guess it kind of helped me for my first like campaign setting, like some 
specific ground rules in the character creation in terms of like <clears throat> this tower appeared and you know you have what like your character has like their like goal like their big goal is like they want to get in this tower and like figure it out or, you know what is it kind of a concept so i think that kind of helped me there but yeah like in a, a long form campaign like each of the characters we've done for the yinsu campaign we're about to do for the most part everybody has like a wide difference in their backgrounds and like what they're trying to accomplish. Should make things interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Have you, I guess, did you, how do, uh, with your like session zero for your uh, first new mastering campaign, like how, how did you go about that? Did you have anything, any limiters at all, other than your survey that you? Oh gosh, limiters. Like um, in terms of, like your character knows, like they want to go to the tower, kind of thing. Um. No, not that I can think of. Uh, I mean, if there are, I'm sure my players can correct me, but I don't remember. Um, specifically putting any sort of, uh, limitations beyond like, you know, being a, uh, what is it? An alignment to where they're not going to try to kill each other. Yeah. But that's about True. it. Um, they all kind of had their own stories I just used their backstories to form some way to get them to come together. So mm -hmm. there wasn't like a, a like a common objective. They all found each other and um, ended up in the same place, and basically were offered like a, a quest, and they just. You know, they were nice. We we're all new, so everybody yeah. was like, "Yeah, let's do it." <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> and uh, that's one thing. I wonder how do you? How would you go about? Like, what if you know you have like your first opening scene? You know, this is kind of where you inter you get each character kind of introduced. Like, what if they ended up not talking to each other or, you know, like, how would you roll with that? Would you end up doing, like, split scenes? You know, like, what do you think? Um, so basically what I had them do is, uh, there's just, like, this carriage going from town to town calling for, you know... The queen's calling for champions to see, for people to prove their worth kind of deal. And um, so as far as like communicating, I didn't have any sort of deal to get them to bond with each other. Um, two of them were from the same order, so that took away two players that I 
you know, had to worry about making a connection with them. Uh, but the others, I just incorporated their backstory just to get them on the carriage. So, uh, the Kenku, he saw the, uh, symbol of the flying flocks was, is like a one wing and it's the same symbol that he had on a little brooch that I gave him for his cloak. And, uh, you know, he noticed the same symbol as the brooch and, um, he decided to get on because he saw that symbol to find out more information, um, because his goal was to fly. He wanted to be able to fly as a Kinku. Okay. Um, and, you know, I kind of was like, you know, maybe this is, maybe you insight that maybe you could find some answers for your goal here. And, you know, and the other one was, uh, oh gosh, what's her name? Elsa. Basically from prison. Oh she, yeah. She ran away from home and. Couldn't, didn't have like a complete control on her magic. Um, so just uh, jumping on the wagon to prove self-worth sort of deal. And, and that's basically how everybody was. But, you know, I put them all in the same room, which the carriage was like, uh, what is it? The, what is that vehicle that they ride in Britain? It's like, it's like two stories, like a bus, kind of. Oh, yeah. Um, two-story but bus. I, like, I imagine that in a mixture of, like, the tents. Well, it's all from, like, Harry Potter inspired because it's the bus, like the ghost bus that takes him to the mm -hmm. Leaky Cauldron, I think it's called. And then... Um, yeah. But on the inside, it was, like, how their tents are when you walk in it's like this huge ass room compared to outside it looks like you're just walking into a small tent and it opens up into this large thing well as soon as they get on the carriage they notice that you know the carriage goes way back and there's just like rows of rooms almost like a train car um and but they all got put in the same room so uh <laughs> you know they were kind of pressured into chatting <laughs> with each other <clears throat> Toru said uh, he likes the cliche you're all in the tavern and you notice X you know this number of freaks that don't <laughs> blend well freaks. with the crowd <laughs> yeah I've definitely been in that situation where I go like, oh, yeah, I walk into the bar and then you notice you know so and so in the corner you know it's like you got Strider you know mm. sitting in the back <laughs> staring at everybody puffing his pipe and you know, in the, like more human town with this, you know, lizard man just chilling on the other side. So what is he doing here? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think uh, so. in Critical Role, they describe him as a motley crew quite often. Motley crew, yeah. That's true. But yeah, so I guess kind of like back to the question what would you do if you know you you kind of led them together but they ended up not going together kind of a thing um 
I guess that would be when you would either you would have to build a situation to meet some sort of common ground. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether something happens and their principles get in the way and, you know. So the idea is that, I mean, generally when you have a group, most of the time they may not want the same thing in the end as far as like little things like maybe somebody wants to make a bunch of money or you know somebody wants to be a monster hunter or somebody's just trying to be like this holy paladin on a quest but you just got to find the common denominator between them that would make them you know want to band together to pursue uh something right but i guess there's also the part too where you know you are people in a game. So you would think that the players would want to play together, right? So. <laughs> right. I'm just, yeah, this is more of like a, it was a big what if, because I could, yeah, I could see it happening, you know. Well, well, my character does, you know, my, I'm just right, you know, role playing, that's not my character to want to do, or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I would attempt you know? to uh, create, you know, multiple circumstances or, um, encounters or just different things that would potentially bring the group together and you know if uh, all of those were failed attempts then you know I'd probably just talk to the player and be like hey uh, you know <laughs> yeah. it's like well, what's it going to take to get you to play the same game as everyone else because I can't right. I'm not going to run two campaigns unfortunately you know Right. I want you to play your character, but I also can't run two. I'm not going to run two separate campaigns because once you get into two different combat scenarios, you know that that could be very confusing and time consuming for everyone. (laughs) And uh, yeah, not that I don't like players going off on their own and you know having the little solo scenes and stuff like that. But it's a little bit different whenever you're trying to go and run. Like be do your like own campaign within a campaign, right? So it's just not very practical. If you wanted a solo game, then you know that needs to be needed to be addressed a while right. back, and you know maybe there's a different game for that. Solo D and D. Chat GPT, can you D and D? Can you be my dungeon master? Yes. <laughs> All right. So I guess we can move on to short form do's and don'ts. All right. Or just pros and cons, I guess. Then there's going to be do's and don'ts. But I mean, personally, I think a, a pro to it is it's like, you know, just instant story arc. You know what I mean? Like straight to the point characters are built for that story specifically and um that that's like one of the things i think is great about it yeah um i find myself getting ideas left and right like oh i want to run this kind of game or oh it'd be cool to run a game in this area of the world or you know this theme or um and then once you're in a, like in a long-term campaign, not that you couldn't run multiples, but you know, it's just like, oh, 
It's like, uh, I'm, st I'm stuck in this long term game, but I, I have so many ideas and I want to run this and that. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, if you run short terms that are only a few sessions long, you know, you can enjoy the extreme variety and it also allows you to play games with different players. Um, you know, meet new people, different game styles, um, different PC flavoring, if, especially when you get like a variety of different players. So there are a lot of pros to it. Yeah, for sure. I, that's one thing that I like with, with our attempt with Mortal Woes is getting more players and, you know, hopefully more uh, DMs too, because that could bring it, you know, being able to play with multiple different people has always been like a cool concept to me that like when we started the dread marches, that's what I really liked about it. I played with a ton of different people in like just a couple of weeks. You know, and really cool. But yeah, we started off, uh, was it like in the winter couple years back and yeah we were playing games left and right we had people submitting different maps um creating different one shots and things like that and you know people signing up to play them you know what what the dread marches is intended for and uh you know that slowly died out unfortunately but um you know we got enough we got a few dms in the group now to where you know there's usually a couple of different games going on so um it's not too far off but you know i would like to s i think it would be great to see uh you know games being put up in the map room and trying to recruit players for these one shots or you know to utilize the dread march system where you can slowly climb up and rank and gain experience per mission and or encounter and things like that I actually have a coworker that has leveled from one to twenty through, uh, you know, like originally called West March. Uh, so it's an interesting that took him about three years wow. to get their character all the way up. But it's cool because you know they still got to see the character growth and experience tons of different stories and. Yeah, definitely is something uh, I think with just a bit of effort could be revitalized, but at the same time, we have a whole bunch of, obviously our big effort has went into <laughs> combining these worlds, and I think that is okay. I don't think we did like a wrong thing by any means. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back on short form. Um, <laughs> do you consider a one shot if it tells a whole story to be short form just a random question I just thought of um, I wouldn't consider it a long form oh yeah <laughs> but those are my only two choices <laughs> are one shots their own thing right yeah like, that's would they not count as a short form I guess uh 
I guess if you're adding or solidifying the term campaign behind each of them, then maybe oh, yeah. not. True. So True. like if a campaign is more like a mini series or, you know. Yeah. What arc. is long term versus short term? Is it a year? Is it five years? Is it ten years? Isn't there a scene See? in a show where they're like, is it 15? 20? Is it 25? How long <laughs> is a long by the office form campaign? Uh, I mean, I think that's just open for interpretation to yeah whoever's playing or whoever's running, really, but um, I guess if it's, if it's truly a one-shot and not just like a one-shot that ends up being three sessions and, <laughs> you know, I guess one-shots are one-shots and then there's, I would say, you know, I guess they're separate. Okay, so according to this article, the short term can be wrapped up in a year or two. <laughs> All right, then. Maybe we got ours mess, mixed up. Toru, how long <laughs> can a game be going till it transforms from short term to long term? 10 sessions? 20? Yeah. Yeah, it's the uh, the conundrum. Mm-hmm. I feel like it just kind of depends on, you know, who's playing and who's running it. So I think you can base it off of this. This is data from Cosmic Draft. A average official D and D campaign, so it'd be an official, you know, temp or what do you call it, module pushed from Wizards of the Coast, is about eighty to one hundred hours, or twenty four to thirty weeks. So I, I guess a good way to break it down, or an easy way to break it down, is anything before that would be a short campaign, and anything above that would be considered a long campaign. So, yes, really, anything ab- above like seven to eight months would be a long campaign. Hmm. Then I guess how frequent do you play? Yeah, yeah. As is based on weekly sessions, is what this, uh, this article is based off of. Uh, so yeah, then I guess I would say that one shots in short term are not the same. <laughs> yeah, I agree. They aren't. Like not even <clears throat> like three sessions or you know. I guess that would still be a one shot. Yeah. Just parts separated. So I wonder what do you think of this? This isn't really long or short form, really part of the talk, talking point, but do you think this is possible or do you think people would bite and bite to this with like the mini series that you make? If you like sat down, took time to like make a few of them, have them kind of ready and prepared and like run the same players slash characters through each of these as like story arcs like seasons of a show almost um would they be connected in some way maybe yeah i guess maybe 
but you just have enough planned out to where it lasts right for the duration of a short term yeah yeah i mean it's random pretty cool it's random thought yeah i guess you don't have to really build it all at the same time but maybe just have the idea in the back of your head Mm -hmm. or be like a you know it's like the to be continued you know it takes like a a year and a half for some of the animes to get finished animating and produced Hmm. right so (laughs) we'll we'll meet again (laughs) the next when yeah when the next arc is finished damn sword village uh toru (laughs) interesting so the system also influences what a short slash long campaign is like a long campaign of dungeon world can be done in like eight sessions 10 at most Vampire Masquerade short campaign can be as long as 20 sessions, even more. Yeah. That's cool. So, I mean, yeah, for sure. Game, different game systems definitely have a huge influence on uh, time frame and what happens, uh, especially, I think, uh, how strict or how tight you stick to rules as well. Because... You know, a lot of times in my games, you know, if you're traveling from one place to the next, you know, if you're traveling pretty far, like, I I don't think most people don't want to have to, you know, spend the, like a few sessions just traveling. I think people would rather just kind of do the old fast travel switch and you know, get to the next part of the story. Now, I'm not can't speak for everybody because, I mean, there is traveling and traveling scenes and then random encounters has its place, of course. Um, but if you do account for all of that traveling, I mean, you know, that can really draw out a game a lot longer than you might intend if you're spending multiple sessions just traveling from one place to the next. But also, yeah. again, how long is a session? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Time. So, let me think of like, uh, so initially, when I first started the tower, I started it as a Dread March series kind of a thing where I planned each, each floor as its own one shot. And, uh, the first one was the players getting to the tower and uh, just for the first time. And I actually had like the scenes diff- you know, of each different days while they were traveling, like encounters they ran into, like the deadly badgers and <laughs> the bandits on the bridge and all that. Yeah. So, yeah, you can really get into traveling if you really need to especially if you're trying to i think it's a really good time for setting a mood like if you know they're like feeling watched you can have them do that travel time like though they're sitting by the campfire and you know i think it's definitely a a tool to be used but at the same time you don't want to spend every other session you know just riding in a carriage yeah, no, I'm definitely not uh, 
<laughs> knocking traveling at all either. Um, it was, uh, you know, cool things come out of traveling for sure. But yeah, um, you know, traveling to each destination and, you know, but I guess if you're, you know, there for this, the nice slow ride of adventuring, then, you know, traveling is just perfectly fine. I guess it just depends on, um, the DM and what the group wants to do, you know, and that can be discussed in like a session zero or, you know, anytime in the middle of the campaign or whatever, whenever somebody thinks there needs to be a change. Um, let's see, I had a few comments here. Uh, Toru, that is really neat spot to me, but I have some friends who prefer shorter sessions, like two hours at most. Yeah. Um, I think the majority of my sessions have always been just like three hours. Yeah. Um, but you know, sometimes we, it takes a little bit longer to kick off. So anywhere from two to three is typically what I like to try to get in at least, but you know, it is what it is. And again, uh, you know, if you don't always get the amount of game that you want in, um, as long as everybody's having fun, you know. Um, Gear has a few comments here. How do you feel about uh, you sign that time for random encounters, giving rewards, encountering people of the world? Uh, how do I feel about you sign? What is, uh, I'm assuming that's a typo, but. Using? Oh, using, using. Okay, yeah. I am unable to <laughs> fill in blanks, so. <laughs> How do you feel about using that time for random encounters? Uh, yeah, I mean, traveling's like, I feel like one of the perfect times for random encounters. I think I seen a, a setup at one point to where um, the video depicted it as a bridge almost. So they do kind of fast travel, but there's also uh, room for random encounters. So it's like you put a token. Um, imagine you're on a bridge made up of six session, six session sections. Bleh. Um, in each section, um, you roll to see, you know, if like a random encounter or something happens or you make checks to, um, either decrease or increase chances of that specific thing. Um, but you know, once you get to the end of that last section, you know, you get to your destination, but you still have all of those chances to roll and activate some sort of random encounter during your journey. Like that. It was like the next one about giving rewards and encountering people. I think it's also like you don't even necessarily have to do random encounters. You could like use that time to like, uh, fill in or give snippets to someone's, uh, what do you call it? Remember you guys used a word for it, but my brain's not working. But like a little flavor for someone's story or, you know, little, uh, bits for, for like a, a character, like one of the players characters to hold on to, or like, you know, flashback or dream you know yeah 
and just highlight little RP scenarios. A little bit. Yeah. I think it's a decent time for some of those. Countering people. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you're using roads. I mean, mm -hmm. surely uh, that's something I kind of thought about the other day after I was watching um, an episode. Uh, me and my wife started watching the second campaign of Critical Role. You know, after the kid goes to bed, we try to watch a couple hours of that. And they're riding to uh, Zadash and their little horse and buggy. And, um, you know, Matt started describing like a convoy coming from the opposite direction. You know, nothing came of it, but it's just a large convoy. And, you know, they noticed some uh, of like the, not the kings, but whatever the main like authority faction is crowns guard i think they called it um yeah just not that that matters but you know just populating your world with these people like other people are going to be using the roads right mm -hmm. you're not the only ones out there if anything you know people are going to probably use them more often than you do as far as like trade or um, professions and things of that nature makes it makes the world feel lived in like outside of your party's bubble yeah like even though you're not in town there's still bar fights there's still you know uh things are happening people are living exactly uh what's the next one here toru but i had dm some crazy 12 hour plus sessions in the past they are really fun when they are a special thing, don't do this on a regular basis. Even if you, uh, for some reason, have the time to spin like that, you and your players will be burnt out. And then Gear says, the players are the only ones causing bar fights, we all know. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Typically. They never happen. You never know that they happen until you're there, right? And you need proof. Visual proof. I had a... Had a player in a campaign where we we caused a, a ruckus, specifically this player, to where he got in a fight with this dwarf who like axed him to the wall, and so it became like the meme. Any bar or tavern we walked into, that dwarf just happened to be there. We'd walk in, and immediately an axe would come from across the room, and this axe him to the like stick him to the wall. <laughs> That was a good time. I love I love comedy bits. They're my favorite. Uh, as far as um, twelve hour plus sessions, though, I haven't got to uh, experience that. Although, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I would like that or not. Uh, the way. I think my DMing style probably wouldn't be the greatest. I feel like I would have to have a, like a lot of preparing time because I like to prepare a lot for my sessions and then, you know, to prep for 12 hours and to be able to keep the creative energy flowing. I mean, of course, you know, with breaks and stuff, but I mean, I'd like to try it at least at some point. 
maybe not 12 hours the first time, but I'd like to try a, a like a session, you know, it'd be fun to play a session that goes on for like half a day or something. It's kind of like how we played the most, almost every weekend of my senior year of high school. We would start playing like in the evening sometime, um, seven to eight at night. Uh, we'd play until like two to three in the morning, go to Denny's, come <laughs> back and play till the sun comes up. Mm. And pass out and sleep all day and do it again. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I that'd be that'd be that'd be hard to do uh these days. Yeah. Go to sleep early. A lot of a lot of things <laughs> on the plate, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. A twenty four hour live stream session. <laughs> that'd be fun actually. That's a good idea. Live stream session idea. to get the viewership up. Yeah, let's just take turns. We'll switch off, right? <laughs> switch like switch campaigns in the middle of it. Just keep the keep the camera rolling. Yeah. But I mean, I I think a, just a twenty four hour session of. Well, I mean, you have to keep all the players going too. That'd yeah, be, that would be the hardest part. Is yeah. Same character, same story. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, switch DMs. Yeah, that'd be sick. I'll be asleep <laughs> after two hours. Let's go. Uh, that's funny. That'd be perfect. Then we can just have like a collage of pictures of Night Fury passed out. Justin <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. Or gear. <laughs> Gear, we need to revisit the uh, the laboratory and see if uh, Night Fury is still sleeping in there. She's still sleeping so. in a lab. Yeah, so we got all, we were locked down in a laboratory. Um, trying to I remember off the top of my head, there was something we had to get out of the lab. But every, like, during that 24 hours, like, every action was, like, 10 minutes. And so, like, the lab was, like, filling up or, like, getting more deadly, like, gas. It was a gas. And that was fun. That's when I made Slip Pipes McGillicuddy. I love that character. <laughs> but, uh... Well? Yeah, Night Fury is also immortalized in one of, uh... Uh, a haunted house game that I ran. So, you guys ever find yourself <laughs> in a haunted house and run into a uh, porcelain doll that's in like a broken down rocking chair in a dark room that uh, is very ominous, and you know, you see the head sort of and the deep blackened shadows that make up the eyes stare back at you. That's <laughs> yeah, that's a nightmare. <laughs> My soul is in it for sure. Yeah, you, people walk by the porcelain doll. They hear like the faint screams, trying to get out. All right, it's perfect. You want to try a try a scenario or a, sorry, what do you call it? A what do we call them? Bits. Something like that. I don't know. 
segments segments yeah sorry my brain is a mush. segments bits doodahs thingies thingy vibes thingy jigs uh are you saying the joe dirt fireworks <laughs> no but now that you say that it, i immediately is like oh maybe i was saying uh that's funny anyway so this will be we're gonna create an npc oh let's do it so what kind of npc do we want to create i guess we'll pick do we want this to be like a big evil bad you know majestic hero barkeep you know what, what do we think how about a comedic big bad comedic big bad I have a okay so I'm gonna name off a the the monster and it's uh what do you call it <laughs> blah it's a beholder but it's a germaphobe so it so each of its each of its like you know like floaty tentacles has like rubber gloves on each one <laughs> all right <laughs> so what so I guess what's another descriptor personality wise or maybe a special ability it has because of it you know it's flaw or um desanitizing gaze <laughs> or sanitizing gaze is what it'd be not, not desanitizing <laughs> what's what's the you have to roll do you have to roll a 13 dc save or get hit by prestidigitation which cleans your entire body <laughs> or whatever the description for prestidigitation is it like washes all your clothes off basically like once you um, get hit by this uh, little beam of cleaning energy that looks like the sheen off of like Mr. Clean comes flying at you and then your clothes and your bodies just completely eradicated of dirt and soot and you sparkle and you even smell like somebody like went the extra step and used dryer sheets <laughs> so, so like after you get hit by the ray and you're clean and then like you like reach into your pocket where your coin was and you pull out dryer sheets yeah you know what you're saying yeah you <laughs> ah! <laughs> stole my money but i smell so fresh it's like i feel like the beholder like would haunt this domain that it's in because you know, it's usually a guardian of something so you like enter the fortress or you know wherever it's and this kind of reminds me of uh, Sir Zelik, the one of the four horsemen from Naxxramas and when you enter the military wing you'll hear random like 
you'll hear him like yelling like no leave this place because he he was bound by the lich king but he still had like his personality he was a holy man before he became a horseman so it'd be like oh you know you hear these whispers like leave this place you're dirty get away <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to clean like, what where's this coming from you know like, players don't know like what like, do you hear that <laughs> it's too much work to be done so much spring cleaning <laughs> not enough uh, done yes what's uh prestidigitation everywhere everywhere yeah it's like three of its rolls on the on the table like when you roll the rays three of them are prestidigitation mm. You uh, go and you find a chest in the boss room and open it up and it's just like nothing but bottles of Fabuloso and like <laughs> the white little uh, Mr. Clean scrubs and like Clorox pins. What We gotta think of a name. For some reason, the sanitizing the name. beholder. <laughs> Yeah, the name Philip. Just, I don't know why. The name Philip is just. That's all I can think of. That sounds like a germaphobe beholder. Philip Cleansington. Philip Cleansington. Oh, does he have a like a butler voice too? Is he actually the butler? No, he's not just the guardian of this, you know, sacred treasure. He's. He's the uh, butler for the entire estate. Philip Clinsington the third. This has a giant keep monocle. This place clean. Cleaner than you could ever imagine. Shall I perform the white glove test? Nothing. Yes. <laughs> Ray of shoes at the door. <laughs> DC 15 to blast your shoes off and teleport <laughs> them to the front door of the estate. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you track mud? Jeez. Do not read the sign. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's a good one. <laughs> um... Every time I encounter a beholder from now on, that's <laughs> that's what I'm gonna think of. Uh, <laughs> all right, you wanna do one more? I've got the secret. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay. Hmm. It's music. Like a gear this is the, another adventurer who's following you wants your loot someone you're always a step ahead and they are really mad <laughs> so it's like you're like the like the rival in pokemon <laughs> you always encounter them and it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna best you you know <laughs> always step ahead yeah they're on the same quest yeah. 
trying to think of a different reference that is actually comedic. Is it's like showing up late? I'm like, oh, sorry, we just gave the last one out. Damn it! <laughs> every time, like this? you kill the, every time you kill the dragon, or you know, every time you get the big loot, and like you're like walking out of the, you know, doomed evil castle. You know, you just slayed the <laughs> lich, and oh, beats you to it. It's like, no, I just got here. <laughs> Or you walk out with like the legendary sword, yeah, all beaten up and bloodied and bruised, and I did it! I finally did it! And as soon as you walk outside, there's like eight other people holding the same sword. Yeah, man, I got this like thirty minutes ago. <laughs> like what? Yeah, I was world first. World first. <laughs> <laughs> They're really invested and capable, but your group keeps bumbling through. That'd be interesting. Boy, what would it take to have that happen, though? Would it take a uh, like someone's backstory, like this, you know, they have this rival, you know? Is that <laughs> what? It, or do you just have to somehow introduce it? Maybe like there's a tournament somewhere, and you, you this this person came in second place, so they're like permanently you know mad at you and trying to best you for the rest of the campaign <laughs> that would be a good way to like just single-handedly make your entire group like hate one person <laughs> that rival is just like always a step ahead of them like so you take a bounty to like go kill a monster and as soon as you get down to like the end of the dungeon where the creature is, they're like already walking back with the kill on their back. <laughs> oh, so you're saying that the rival is beating beating the party. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. I was interpreting as we keep beating the rival, and that's why the rival keeps following the party. Oh. I yeah. was thinking of the other way, like <laughs> Dang it, this asshole is always one step ahead of us. <laughs> so who's marrying the king's daughter? Yes, either way is fun. Oh, no, no, we are ahead of them. Oh, okay. Well, it, yeah. I was saying it was, um, you know, we started off with like the Pokemon reference, and I think Gary is always like ahead, isn't he? Well, I guess it just depends what... I mean, he always gets to pick the strong, the Pokemon that counters you, so... But you always beat him still, right? Usually? Yeah. I mean, you always end up being, like, the champion of the game, because it's... Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay. So now we're ahead of them, and they're truly invested and you just keep bumbling through, okay. Yeah, so they're like this talented, trained, <laughs> like golden warrior, and you guys are just like the group of misfits, and like, what? How do you guys keep doing this? It's like, I am. How did you get here before me? Descendant of an ancient 
demigod bloodline and well, you're <laughs> effing Jerry from the bar down the road. What the hell? <laughs> F you, Jerry. Uh... <laughs> I've trained my whole life for this. And you just came in here and tripped over a branch and your slingshot accidentally hit it in the eye and it fell over and I don't understand who's writing on this oh so they're trying to marry the king so they they need this or they can't marry the king's daughter so uh. they keep taking the trophies <laughs> so no not again my self worth <laughs> My dowry's riding on this. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, all right. What, what character do we want to make now? It's a... Uh... Well... What would a, because, you know, good and evil is kind of, well, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe not necessarily good and evil, but good and bad. I think those are two different things. Good and evil versus good or bad. Because you can do, like, bad things that aren't inherently evil, but, you know, genocide, I would consider evil, right? Yeah. Anyways. Interpretation and, uh, you know, which side you're on and... Um... <laughs> what you believe to be good and evil, I suppose. Oh, what do you, what would a hero of, was it Dregarth? How do you pronounce, uh, that deity's name in the mystery? Uh, Dregorth. Dregorth. What would a hero or like a champion of Dregorth look like? We could build one right now. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. It's pretty kind of loaded a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, what would the stereotyped champion of Dragor yeah. be? Yeah. So like, just like the know. black, like a black knight. You know. Okay. I mean. That's how I would imagine, essentially, like this. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with um, like the ebony armor from like Elder Scrolls or right stuff like that. But yeah, basically like this, like uh, sort of dark or black and like onyx armor that you know comes to sharp edges, um, some sort of insignia resembling death perhaps uh balance as well so that's something that um Bregan and Dragorth have in common um not to like break into each other's spaces but you know Dragorth's all about like you know, if you you're supposed to go to the right place, and he's the one that chooses who who goes where. 
Um, what what class would this champion be? Oh gosh, what class is? Clerics for sure. The... Um, I know paladins are odes now and not uh, divine necessarily, or right. you know, are meant to follow deities, but. Uh, I feel like every time I play a paladin, I prefer to still stick with like the idea of uh, following a deity. Yeah, I agree. What do you think for like? So if we go with clerics, this is a cleric of Dregorth. Would it be, you think, death, or I mean, honestly, that was what you're saying. Would peace work? What what are the what what makes a peace cleric? Heroism, sanctuary, uh, maybe not. Well, word of word of purity, restoration, maybe not. But I was thinking like peaceful, like peaceful death. <laughs> now, one of yeah. the characters' uh, life he plays, I think, a grave domain cleric, <clears throat> which is okay. I mean, he essentially releases the souls to Dragorth. Okay. And like, you know, if something dies, you know, that that doesn't always mean that it's going to pass on, you know. That's how you get like haunting spirits and things like that. They're not ready to cross over, but I think that's something easily flavored with the grave domain cleric is you help um, the dying cross over. So that way, the next path of their journey could begin. So, would you consider... I took Astral Drifter and spent 69 years at the gates with Dragorth. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So you wouldn't wouldn't consider... I mean, Dragorth may look it, but you don't consider Dragorth to be evil? Um, no. I consider him to be uh, extremely neutral. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, extremely neutral. Um, it doesn't really matter, you know, if they're good or evil, but like if you were altering the path of the fallen to benefit you in some way or another, then um, do it enough and you might find yourself um, you know, in some sort of contact or signs showing you that, hey, you're stepping on some toes. Especially if you're not you know, somebody on the same level. I was thinking the same thing, Gear. Law, Dregorth is lawful. Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm not, like, too great with alignments, but uh, it makes sense. I get there. It's, there's an order to things, right? Yeah, He's um, right. There's, there are laws to the, the flow judgment. of the afterlife and stuff. Like, he... 
Dragorth uh, is, you know, the person with the gavel, right? The gate, the gateman, or what? No, the boatman, the ferryman, the the ferryman, uh, the yeah, yeah. reaper, boatman, all combined into one. Give me your coins. <laughs> For some reason, this made me think of "Bring Out Your Dead" from <laughs> uh, Monty Python. I don't know if you've ever seen that skit, but mm -mm. anyways, uh, well, I guess we can get to our last topic for this last bit of time. Okay. Different systems. Uh-oh. What other, have you tried any other systems or like looked into any? Um, I think, well, I know that I've played Tin Candles. Um, oh, yeah. Which I enjoy playing. I just can't play it all the time. Like, I couldn't play Tin Candles, um, like, every week or something like that. Right. Um, but I do enjoy playing it whenever I do play it. Um, I've ran a Tin Candles game before. Maybe a couple of games, but um, Justin really liked my Haunted House game. I ran that with Tin Candles. Um, and I thought it worked out really well, too. I think uh, what was uh, Barrett and Monica was actually scared. Uh, nice. Uh, but yeah, I had like a soundboard going and... You know, they're inside this haunted house is really like Scooby-Doo flavored and they get in there and, you know, I use a soundboard to like make the telephone randomly ring and like pages flip as they walk by desks and things like that. Uh, it was cool. on point. I don't know if I could ever recreate it, but, um, you know, whoever was in the game, I'm glad you guys... Uh, had a good time for sure. I think we did scare Barrett pretty good though. Was, you know, we asked everybody to play in the dark too. And I can't remember. Did you guys go knock on his door to try to give him something and he like screamed out loud or something? <laughs> I can't remember exactly what happened, but uh, I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I think there, yeah, there were neighbors and the game was going on and I can't remember what they were doing, but they went and knock on his door and you just hear like this scream over the mic. <laughs> That's awesome. Drop my yeah. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. <clears throat> um and he yelled, Come the fucking <laughs> uh, uh Justin ran us through a session of Blades in the Dark, which I thought was fun. Um, I'd be willing to play that again at some point. Um, I think, I believe that game is set up to where, you know, you can play definitely multiple sessions because, uh, you know, you're like, go on missions or heist or 
you're like part of this group and I think there's some sort of uh, slow, um, or maybe not slow, but there's some sort of evolving uh, RPG element to it. Like for right. your hideout or something like that, I'm pretty sure. Um, <clears throat> would Blades in the Dark be able to transfer into like a long like? Would do you would you be able to play it like in Kanu like in Kanu or on Morta? Um, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Is it a D6 system or a D20? I don't remember. I'm sure Gear knows. He's saying yes, yes, yes. He wants to do it in the scene. He said D20. 20. Okay. Um, and then uh, Gear also ran a game a long time ago um, using the Fate system. And I that's was, one I've always wanted to like get into, but I've never, never have. Yeah, I basically played Rick Sanchez. And I think Udir was our like the main boss that we were trying to go after. So uh, I think Shane was playing with us. It's like a some sort of like Western character. It was a good time. Have you ever heard of Shadowrun? I have heard of it, but I've never played it. Shadowrun is a very good time. Um, I wouldn't say post-apocalyptic, but it's definitely like a future. The the is like original their their products, you know, from Shadowrun. It's a futuristic like America, where people have like mutated and uh, stuff like that into like orcs and trolls and elves and whatnot. Yeah, just dystopian future, and it's the. Uh, very cool and when you like build a character it is it's a d20 system but uh like when you build a character you can like get prosthetic limbs like metal prosthetic limbs and stuff and you lose like part of your life force for doing so i remember i played like a troll that used a riot shield and i had a shotgun like under my so my wrist would come or my hand would go up and like a shotgun barrel comes out of my wrist um but I made the guy like pure tank. It was it was very fun. I carried a a like a tech like a little like kid tech dude. He like had a buy like bionics drones and things. I carried him in my backpack. He was one of the other players that I carried around <laughs> in a backpack to operate his devices. Nice. But uh, sounds fun. Yeah. It's very interesting. Like in that future, uh, the like whole like west, like northwest of America is completely locked down and run by Native American like casino world. And yeah, it's it's interesting how they broke it down. But I think the system itself could easily transfer. Like if if you ever, especially if we have the you know Hydraverse this other universe or even this one that we're in, you know, far into the future where we have cybernet, you know, cyberpunk, you know, whenever technology eventually evolves that far, I think that'd be something that if, if people are ever looking into running a different game for 
mortal woes i think that would be possible i think that'd be really cool but yeah i'll be reaching out you'd almost <laughs> yeah you wouldn't have to like start completely from scratch but you definitely have to like kind of remodel the lands you know what i mean but yeah aside from that every, i guess characters... every city looks like coruscant and <laughs> yeah uh, essentially some of them completely broken down, you know, like devastated cities too. <clears throat> yeah, I think um, uh, like this would be like a perfect uh, topic for gear to be a part of. Is um, I know several times, you know, uh, we'll post different types of games that you like to try. Um, yeah. Then I'm also interested. So maybe we can get that going at some point. If there were enough people, I would run Blades in the Dark game long term. Yeah. I was. So this campaign that I'm setting up right now, I was very close to running index card R, uh, RPG for it. Very close. But, um, so with index card RPG, I think I kind of described it before. It is technically a D20 system, but I guess it depends on if you're doing like a, like a roll you're good at or not. If you use like a D6 or a, you know, if it's a basic roll, it's like D4, I think, or a, a not good or if you're if you're weak at the skill or whatever, you roll a D4. If it's a basic roll, it's a D6. And I think if you're skilled or can't remember the exact term off the top of my head, you know, it's a D20. And then there's um, each of the base classes. Each have a subclass to them that you can like pick into, but it's also based on uh, what do you call it? It's, it's based to do like whatever you want. So like even the class I'm playing in it, like on the Thursday game, technically isn't like what's in their book, but because the rules are written to be like, I don't say rules written to be broken, but you know, interpreted. And then every, if you're a caster, I guess pretty much everyone has a, a domain and then like a word. So like one of our one of the characters is uh metal and lightning. And so they're like a pack rat support character. They have a bunch of items and so they'll use like this metal rod and be like, you know, lightning, like like Nova, and like they'll throw their stake into the ground and it'll cause like lightning to, you know, blast outwards or they'll pretty much manipulate it based on your words and what happens with your spells so you can kind of make up your own spells on the fly in a way hmm. um and like Ico's character is a uh bard and their word is concert so a lot of times Ico will use spells you know i go want to you know put all of my all of the the party in concert with me to you know, use like to cause them to like move fluently in battle to give us a bonus to like our attacks and or 
to do the opposite, you know, cause the enemies to be in concert to, you know, befuddle them. We've also <clears throat> done ways to make us where we could, uh, what was it? Uh, manipulate speech based on being in, con in concert with each other. It was just, and it was pretty cool. Um, very open-ended, very fun for role-playing for sure. Hmm. And so I was very tempted to do that because oh, yeah, I thought that'd be fun, especially with the experienced players that we're going to have. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you ever need to, I'm sure we'd all be fine with trialing a session. If you just ever yeah. felt like throwing one in. Or just like a one shot, even just to test it out. Yeah. All right, let's do it tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everybody get on. Uh, Night Fury, I would like to try some one-page RPG games uh, as like one-shot or short three to five session campaigns. Uh, yeah, I, I was looking at some of those uh, the other day. I forget the name completely, but it's like lasers and something. But it was like a reskin for... That it looked like it's uh, Adventure Time, kind of. Oh, that's cool. All out of bubblegum. I've heard of that one. But I forget what it, it is specifically. I think it, it's supposed to be like a Star Trek theme, but they kind of changed it over and it was like Adventure Time. I was like, that would be fun to play a little Adventure Time theme game, too. Mm-hmm. All out of bubblegum. Uh, yeah, we should really do that at least a couple of sessions. Yeah, I mean, I'd be down. If it makes, uh, you know, if it makes the first sessions of your campaign easier to run it through that system, then by all means, you know? Right. Come on, grab your friends. It's time to travel to distant lands or something like that. Um, I guess the the last one, but oh, Bessem! I've set up so many characters for Bessem, and I've yet to play Bessem a single time. So. Yeah, I think I've seen the book PDF, but I, I've. I've built a, a good handful for like, you know, these games that was going to be played from very, you know, various DMs that I know. And it's never, it was sad. It made me sad. I think one actually was, I want to say, like maybe 12 well, years ago from Justin. Well, like years. near like my intro right after like my introduction to D and D I remember we talked about Bessem once and that was a long time ago though. But then like with, uh, like Ico and Ben and stuff, we talked about setting up Bessem campaigns or characters and would have been longer. Yeah, maybe it was, hmm. I remember it was a long time ago. Like we were still in school, I think. So I guess it would be a lot longer, but 
but uh anyways yeah i always thought that concept is you know the anime vibes i always thought would be super fun yeah that's what i'm flavoring my guy i don't i don't even know that much about besom other than building the characters i don't know like how the combat works or i think that's what deters me is like i mean i typically want to run the games so i'll have to learn Mm -hmm. how to run the games (laughs) right like there's so much stuff that i don't even know about the current game that i play so you know it's a little uh uh, a lighter term than intimidating, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, I just don't know how to play it. Like I don't know how to run it. Otherwise, I'd yeah. be more open. But you know, games like that, or you know, a lot of the games, there's just like so much stuff, and uh, having the time to like sit down and go through it. Like, even watching videos and stuff, you know, to fast track is just like, uh, and now that I'm kind of comfortable a little bit with one system, like, you know, could I get by with just doing it in 5e? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely feel that. And especially since we were pretty hard based in a homebrew world anyways. If people really want to add flavor or like custom spells, like that stuff can be done mm-hmm. pretty easily for the most part. But, yeah. uh, yeah, anything homebrew really. Um, and then there's Dagger Heart. Yeah. Uh, what was it, August? They're supposed to be uh, having a display at Gen Con. Gen Con, yep. So can't wait. You know if, and I'm sure that it'll be similar, because, I mean, Critical Role likes Dungeons and Dragons, so I don't see them straying too far away from it. It's got to be somewhere in the same realm. It's not. I don't think that it's going to be too far off of uh, what they're used to but um, just based off of like following and fan base and uh, the sort of crowd or product that I'm looking for um, I would definitely probably you know spend time to learn that game and see how that goes I agree yeah, I definitely think it's story based. Yeah, because I mean that's kind of what I typically aim for, anyways. I I try to you know create a decent story arc with my games. Um, so hopefully that'll help me highlight stuff that I'm better at. <clears throat> we'll yeah. see. Nobody knows yet, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen anything, so uh, I am excited to see what that turns out. Where is Gen Con? We getting tickets? <laughs> Gen Con, let's look it up. Gen Con. Where's Gen Con, everyone? 
It's probably August third through the sixth. Indy. Indiana. Yeah. Really? Are they Indianapolis? Sold out? Oh, Indianapolis. And uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Get your badge. Uh, How much does that cost? I yeah. gotta make an account. Yeah, are we gonna set up a Mortal Woes table? <clears throat> That'd be cool. I mean, that would be probably. Gen a good Con idea. event registration will be open at noon, May 21st. The event catalog will be published approximately two weeks prior. Wait, so brain fog, but can you buy On access or do you have to, is it like a first come? So it looks like registration opens up on the 21st. So on the 21st, you can. The 21st of August, right? No, 21st of May is when it opens to oh. be purchased. All right. And it's in August. All right, guys. Well, you're going to see more woes at uh, this year. <laughs> we need That'd to be start awesome. getting some t-shirts and hats made. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that'd be exciting. Stickers. Yeah. Everything. We should. Keychains, bobbles. I'm just going to have like a, a stand that I carry on my back that has uh, all of the... <laughs> Put the stickers everywhere. Yes. Uh, sir, you can't put a stick... I just did it. <laughs> Please like and subscribe. Thank you. After you do that, I'll remove the stand. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, we should definitely come try to come up with something to uh, hand out to promote if we ended up doing that. I would like to. I'll. Uh, QR code business cards. Yeah. Definitely uh, look into getting that going. For sure. All right. Everybody in the chat. Plan on a Gen Con trip. That'd be sweet. It's an anime slash game convention. Oh, San Japan. I thought you were talking about the Gen Con. I was like, cool. I like both of those things. <laughs> I'm assuming Indiana's a lot closer, though. But I don't know. Well, so we're reaching that time, sadly. Yeah. Already. Yep, yep. Thanks to uh, everyone for hanging out. Had fun building characters with you guys. Hope everyone that watched learned some, you know, good pros and cons and do's and don'ts for, you know, if you want to run a long campaign or your short campaigns. 
Um, talked a little bit about some different systems that you can look into, um, some that we kind of know about, some we just know of. And uh, maybe we can highlight these sessions if uh, we get Justin in here next week. Yeah, so I know about a few. I know he a lot knows more. a lot more about Blades <laughs> in the Dark and um, multiple other games for sure. Also, uh, we have a game tomorrow. First session of Vinewood. So, uh, that'll be happening, I believe, around 7 Central. 7 p.m. Central to about 10. So, uh, See. uh, Toru, get your character made. All right. <laughs> uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a good night. Later. Bye.